was Christmas time. My wife and I were up in our bedroom talking about what gifts we should get the kids. She said we should get them bikes. I said they have bikes. She said, so then what do we get them? And I said, well, they seem to be really into Legos. We could do Legos. She said, we could do Legos. She said, but they're, they're also into those cards. What are those cards called? I said, Pokemon cards. Yeah. I said, but those are from the devil because they teach evolution. We can't do that. I'm just kidding. I didn't say that. Uh, I said, you know what? What if we got them a Nintendo Switch? It could be like for all the kids. I could show them that I still got it when it comes to Mario Kart. And she said, that sounds great, but that sounds like it's for you. And I went, it is. <laughs> Parents are clever. And as we're talking about the Nintendo Switch, I hear a little voice from the backyard, right below our bedroom window, saying, Dad, help, help. That's interesting. Do you hear that? She goes, yeah, go help the kids. And I was like, okay. So I got up, I ran down. And I went into the backyard, and I don't see any children. And I thought, it is Christmas. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> took you a second. It's a miracle. And then I heard it again, Dad, help. And I look up, and in a tree is my six-year-old daughter who has been obsessed with her gymnastics class hanging from a limb, just dangling there. You see, Marley decided she wanted to practice the high bars in the elm tree in our backyard. But she slipped, and when she slipped, she grabbed onto the branch, and she didn't know what to do. She didn't have enough strength left to pull herself up, and below her was a two-foot piece of rebar holding up a sprinkler sticking straight out of the ground. I mean, she was basically in an Indiana Jones movie, right? Like that's how close danger was. And so I, I jumped up there, I'm a tall guy, like if I lift my hands up, I'm like eight and a half, pushing nine feet tall, it's all good in the hood, you know? And I go, I got you, come on. And my hands are like on her, on her legs, like I'm like, I'll get you. And she goes, but, but what if you drop me? And I go, it wouldn't be the first time, like we'll be fine, you know? And I go, you can trust me. And she goes, okay, but dad, I just don't want you to drop me. And I was like, well, I can leave. We can figure, we can call the fire department. Like, I'm here, I'm your, I'm your guy. I'm not gonna drop you. And she goes, okay, on the count of three, I'll let go and you catch me. And I go, okay, but this only works if you trust me. Do you trust me? And she says, I trust you, dad. And I said, okay, do you trust me? And she said, I trust you. And I said, perfect. Do you trust me? And she said, I trust you. And I was like, do you trust me? She was like, I trust you. And I was like, but do you trust me? I'm just kidding. We didn't go back and forth like that. <laughs> Sometimes my brain gets stuck. Uh, she said, Dad, I trust you. And so she let go. And when she let go, I caught her. And I put her on the ground. And I gave her a big hug. And I said, you suck at gymnastics. Don't ever do that again. <laughs> well, why do I share this silly story? That's mostly true, except for some of the dialogue I 
improvise there. I share this story because what I want to talk to you about tonight is whether or not you trust God. Whether or not you trust God, it's a simple question, but found within your answer to that question reveals your belief in who God is, that is to say, in his character. Like we've covered some of the most special and intimate and important characteristics of God this week. Night one, we talked about how he's holy. In fact, we didn't just learn that God is holy, we learned that God is holy, 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 and the whole earth is full of his glory. And that it was God's holiness that sets him apart from every other created thing. He's the creator, we're the creation, his right place is on that throne, high and lifted up, train of his robe filling the temple, that's who our God is. The second day we looked at the fact that we're not God. In fact, we're so not God that we are futile, we have limitations, and we ultimately have sin. But because God is holy and perfect, we have to understand that God pours out his wrath upon sin because God doesn't want anything to come in between us and having a relationship with him. God is a just God. He can't just overlook the sin. That would, that would disrupt the natural order of things, cause and effect. He had to address the sin problem by taking the weight of it upon his shoulders, which brought us to our third conversation where we looked at this one simple truth that God is love. And as 1 John 4, 8 tells us, God isn't just love, he's the embodiment of love. God is love. And in unpacking, in unpacking the fact that God is love, we looked at this beautiful truth that God sees us in our sinful separated state, He knows our hearts, yet he chooses to love us. God sees, God knows, and God loves. And then last night, we had the privilege of looking at something that I think is is so beautiful about God. It's one of my favorite attributes of him, and it's the fact that he is always with us. The, The big idea that we looked at was the fact that you are never, what, tell me? You're never alone. And so when we put those things together, those qualities of who God is, he's holy, he's just, he's loving, and he's with us, that brings us to a place where we have to, like my daughter did on that day, hanging from the tree, because she was practicing her gymnastics, we have to get to a point where we go, God, I trust you. I trust you. I want you to open up to a passage with me. It's in the book of Psalms, which is pretty much dead center in your Bible. Dead sin in your Bible, the book of Psalms, chapter 46. And as you turn there, I'd love for you to pray with me. God, as we unpack your word tonight, as we look at this next characteristic of who you are, it's this fun word, a word that has a lot of depth and a lot of meaning, but it's also a church word. So sometimes when we hear words often, we forget that they have deep significance and importance. God, tonight as we look at your sovereignty, Would you help us to trust you more? It's in your beautiful name we pray. The name of Jesus, amen. So this passage is one, uh, if if I can be a little vulnerable with you guys, this passage is one that means a lot to me. There's a a part of my story that in the last couple years I've had to come to terms with, uh, and, and and it's something that is actually completely normal. In fact, it's something that, that, that doctors say one in five people on earth today struggle with. In 2017, I was diagnosed with severe depressive disorder. 
I have a chemical imbalance in my brain that, that doesn't allow me to process emotions properly. Something was off inside of me. And I didn't understand what was going on. I would have these, these weeks where I would just be incredibly low, no energy, couldn't think a happy thought, was just kind of lights are on, but nobody's home. Like I, I just, I didn't understand what was going on inside of myself. And so I saw my doctor, he suggested a few things. I started going to counseling and to therapy and, and unpacking and really understanding and knowing more of what was going on inside of my own, my own mind, inside of my own brain. And through that process, my wife did something that to me is one of the truest and deepest forms of love that she's ever shown me. What she started to do was, when she could tell that I was having kind of an episode with my depression, she, she would take these index cards and she would write out passages of scripture to help remind me when I was in the deepest, darkest depths in the valley, who God is. She would remind me of who God is. And one of the verses that she would lay out for me was Psalm 46. And as a result, this passage has become one of my most favorite passages in all of the Bible because within these words, the author of Psalm 46 is expressing to us the one simple fact that we're gonna talk about tonight and it's the fact that God is sovereign and the fact that he's sovereign means we can trust him. No matter what it is we're facing, no matter what it is you're going through, there's gonna be times in your life, all of us in this room, students, counselors, staff, there will be times in life where it feels as though you are literally gripping with all of your strength to keep it together. And in those moments, you're gonna be forced, like we saw depicted in the film tonight, to turn to something that is something that you conjured up. You might turn to a coping mechanism. You might turn to something that is actually gonna cause you more harm than good, or you can choose to turn to God, who we've talked about is loving, is just, is holy, and he's present with us. Look at what Psalm 46 says. It says this, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her, and she will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, and the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. And then he says this, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Isn't that a beautiful psalm? You can tell that the person who wrote it was experiencing turmoil, was experiencing trouble. In order to understand the context of Psalm 46, you have to know this about the nation of Israel. What we're watching played out through this artistic depiction that Hume has put together for us through this theme is we're watching the birth of Israel. This is, this is during their formative years. 
Like this is where Israel is being birthed as a nation, fulfilling the promise that God made to Abraham as far back as Genesis chapter 14. And in doing so, God makes a deal with them. He says, hey, I will be your God and you will be my people. But Israel, being a nation, being a tribe, being a people group of humans, oftentimes found themselves turning to things in times of trouble that were not God. Things that they thought could help them cope with their fear. Things that they thought could help them cope with their pain. Ultimately, what they did in doing so was reveal to God that they didn't trust him. And so as, as, as this psalmist writes these words, he says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. What the author of this psalm is beginning to display for us is that word sovereign. Say that word with me, sovereign. 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 You quit, what happened? A little late. Cue the fart noise, I'm just kidding. Okay, ready? The word is sovereign. Here's the definition of the word sovereign. The word sovereign means possessing supreme or ultimate power. Possessing supreme or ultimate power. This is our God. He alone has the authority. He alone has the power. Where we are finite, he is infinite. Where we are weak, he is strong. Where we have limitations, he is without. This is the holy God seated on the throne causing the heavenly hosts to swirl around with all six of their wings singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You have to understand this about God. He is big. And not only that, but he's in charge and he's in control. The fact that God is sovereign means that we can trust him to have and to hold all of this together. I think this is an important part because even as I'm talking, you're probably thinking about parts of your own life that you don't yet trust God for. Parts of your own life where you go, okay, if God's got all this together, why has the last two years been so incredibly hard? Where's God in the midst of all of this? You may be thinking to yourself, okay, if God's got all this together, why did my parents get divorced? Okay, if God's got all this together, why did that loved one have to die if God has all this together? Here's what you need to know. Pain and hurt and evil existing in the world has nothing to do with God not being sovereign. It has everything to do with what we talked about two nights ago. Sin exists and it's real. Evil exists on this earth. Hardship exists on this earth. Pain exists on this earth. God doesn't promise to take it away. He promises to be with us during those times, an ever-present help in times of trouble. God's sovereignty makes him present with us. Look at verse 10 with me. This is what we're gonna unpack for the next few minutes. It says this in Psalm 46, verse 10. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. There's four parts in Psalm 46 verse 10 that put on full display for us the sovereignty and trustworthiness of our God. The first kind of nugget for us this evening comes out of those first two words in verse 10, be still. Can you remember your parents telling you that as a kid or, or maybe today? <laughs> You're tapping your foot, be still. 
I was at a friend's house tonight just before chapel started and their son decided he wanted to be a billy goat so he would put his head down and run right into me. And his mom was like, hey, the baby's sleeping. You gotta be still, sit still. That's not exactly what this word means. In fact, in the original language, there's a Hebrew word called rafa. Rafa. Say that word with me. Rafa. Now, this word rafa is an awesome word because it actually first appears in Exodus chapter 14. This word rafa is a military term. It's a military term that quite literally means drop your weapons, drop what's in your hand. When the psalmist writes, be still and know that I am God, what he's saying is, let go of all of those things that you thought brought you control. Let go of all of those things that would have, in your hand, been used as a tool for coping with the pain of this world. Drop it, let it go, and know that I am God. Trust me. Look at where we first see this word in scripture. I'll read this to you. Don't, don't turn here with me. In Exodus chapter 14, verse 10, it says this. In Exodus chapter 14, it says... It says, as Pharaoh approached the Israelites, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. Remember we saw that in the video yesterday? When the red rocks closed in on, on Phineas and, and, and all of the, yeah, sorry. I don't remember all the names. The mustache guy that was eating steak tonight, remember that when he died? Okay, got it, all right. So, it says that as that was happening, in verse 10 it says, they were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us here to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? The Israelites are asking this of Moses, they don't trust him. Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert See, what's happening is the pain of the Israelites, the fear that being enslaved has caused them, is, is making them want to run back to those chains. It's making them want to run back to their oppressors. Because in God delivering them, they're having to face hard things that reveals not only to their own hearts, but to God, do you trust me? And so they lash out at Moses going, what have you, done? Why have you brought us here? What's going on right now? Verse 13, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance that the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. And then he says this, the Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. He says, the Lord will fight for you. All you have to do is rafa. You've got to drop the weapon. This is a battle you could never win. This is a battle you will lose every time. This is a battle that's actually God's to fight, not yours. And because he's sovereign, he's saying, put down the Nerf gun. Let me go to battle for you. Ditch your fake Captain America shield and your plastic Thor's hammer. I actually have the power to do this. Do you trust me to do that? Be still implies we drop that thing that we're turning to, the object that we actually trust because we wanna see God show up. Be still. Then he says, and know. Be still, the second thing he says, and know. Knowing in this instance means to acknowledge or be aware of. So he says, drop your weapon 
and I want you to be aware of something going on. The thing that I want you to be aware of, the thing that you're gonna learn in your stillness is you ain't got the power that God has. The thing you're gonna learn when you, when you ditch that thing that brought you peace and comfort during times of trouble and turn to God, the thing you're gonna learn is it was never gonna help you in the first place. It had no saving power. God has saving power. Don't forget, this is the God who kicks death in the face and rises from the grave, and he's saying, I want to go to war for you. You don't need to fight. Turn from it. Drop it. Be still and know. Here's my question. How does, God, how does knowing God impact our stillness? How does knowing God, he says to be still and know, how does knowing God impact our ability to drop that thing that we thought could help us? Here's how. Because when we drop that weapon and we stand still, it gives us a second to think and go, okay, God, now there's room for you here. There's room for you to show up. Knowing God implies that we can trust him and surrender to his plan because we understand who he is. John 10, 27 says, Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and they know me. My sheep know my voice. To walk with God is to learn and understand that he has things to say to us. And more often than not, the times and the things that God wants to say to you happen when we're, when we're hanging from that tree. It happens when we feel like our back is against the wall and we have nothing and no one else to turn to and God says, hey, hey, remember me? Watch what I can do. Let me show you what I have in store. It's as though he's saying knowing him always leads to more obedience. When we know and trust that God is sovereign, that God is in control, and that God is in charge, it allows us to turn to him in obedience when we'd rather turn to something else to help us fix the problem. Then he says, be still and know. Third thing, he says that I am God. This is as important as ever. Because us understanding that he is God reminds our souls that we are not. Like me understanding that he's God reminds me that I'm not God. Like there's times in life where we face incredibly hard things and we go to that pull yourself up by your bootstraps type of mentality, work harder, and we go, I gotta figure this out. You'll never figure it out. This is a chance for your faith to grow when you lean on and trust that God is who he says he is. And he will deliver on the promises that he's made because he's good and loving and has you in mind. He sees, he knows, and he loves. J.I. Packer, he's a Quaker theologian. He said this, a God whom we could understand exhaustively, meaning a God that we can know everything about and whose revelation of himself confronted us with no mysteries whatsoever would be a God in man's image, and therefore an imagery of God, not the God of the Bible at all. Deep quote, but I love it, here's why. Reminds us that when we paint God in our own image, that's actually not God. It's like that box we talked about. We like to put God into a little box and make everything neat and put a bow on it and go, that's God, that's my God box. God doesn't fit in a box. Remember, he holds the spans of the ever-expanding universe in the palm of his hand. He's sovereign. The fourth thing he says is here is, he says, and I will be exalted. I will be exalted. And, and this is really the part of this passage. 
In Psalm chapter 46, verse 10, where the whole thought is tied together. When he says, I will be exalted, the simple point of this passage can be found in the phrase, I will be exalted. He doesn't say, hey, if you choose to trust me, I can be exalted. No, he says, I will be exalted. Why? Because he's the sovereign one. He has all the power. He has all the authority. He holds everything deeming him trustworthy simply by existing. And all he asks of us is to show up and drop that thing that we thought we could turn to during a time of trouble. Know that he's God. To pause, be still, to pray, and invite in his sovereign presence because he sees, he knows, and he loves. Trusting God is incredibly difficult. This is not an easy thing. And if your life is anything like mine, I have an endless, exhaustive list of why I shouldn't trust people. Like it's almost as if I'm just waiting for someone to make a mistake so I can go, see, you failed me. You did it. You did exactly what I knew you would do. You let me down. And if we're not careful, we take that same mindset into our relationship with God. But God hasn't done anything except love us, and care for us, and provide for us. All that he asks is that we pause, that we be still and know that he is God and trust that he will be exalted. That is to say, he will be lifted up. The simple, the simple and, and profound truth of tonight's message as I wrap this up. God is sovereign, and he's therefore worthy of our trust. God is sovereign, and he's therefore worthy of our trust. The longer you walk with God, the more you're gonna wanna trust him. The longer you spend time with God, the more you're gonna understand and begin to know what his voice sounds like. When you face times of trouble, when you face moments where you have no idea how you're gonna get out of it, like my daughter did on that day, when she was hanging up in a tree practicing her gymnastics, the more we trust God, the quicker we are to say, God, I need help. I need help right now. This is why Proverbs chapter three, verses five, five and six say, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight paths for you. He invites us to trust him. He not only invites us to trust him, but he invites us to follow his lead. He invites us to trust that where he takes us is exactly where we should go because he's in control and he's in charge at the end of the day. So what do we do when we learn and realize that we're not trusting God? What do we do if, if you're sitting there right now and you're going, I don't trust God? There's this beautiful word found in the New Testament. It's a church word, you've certainly heard it before, and it's the word repent. Repent means to turn from. I have my own definition, if I can share it with you, I think it's pretty good. To repent means you look at sin in your life and you say, we, are never, ever, ever getting back together, right? Hey, we are never, ever, ever getting back together. Shout out to Taylor Swift. When we realize, like some of us made tonight, that we are not trusting God, that we're not believing him to be sovereign, that we're not believing him to be holy and just and loving and with us, there's a simple moment where we have to pause 
and say, God, I am so sorry that I haven't trusted you. I'm so sorry that I'm holding on to these weapons that I thought could bring me security and safety and comfort. And God, I'm gonna let go of that. And I'm gonna be still. And in that stillness, I pray that your spirit would remind me that you are God and you will be exalted. Why? Because you're sovereign. And if you're sovereign, you're trustworthy. Pray with me. God, I pray tonight for all my new friends that if there's anyone in this room who is sitting here going, I simply don't trust God, I pray that you would give them reasons to as they walk outside and head up to Victory Circle. Would they look up at the stars and be reminded of who hung them there as they interact with this beautiful creation, the tall trees, the the dirt, the beautiful smells. Would you remind them that you have enough power to simply speak those things into existence? And God, it's not that you're some all-powerful, galactic, cosmic CEO who doesn't even know who works for him. In fact, it's just the opposite. God, you promise that you know us, you promise that you see us, and you invite us into deeper relational intimacy when we trust you. And so God, tonight, help us to trust you. We love you, we thank you for these truths. It's in your beautiful name we pray, amen.